When you love riding a motorcycle, you want to ride it everywhere, even to a physical. Let's check your weight. Hop on the scale. Look at that. You're down a few pounds. Oh, yeah. Must be the new carbon fiber wheels. And when you love saving money, you want to save even more. That's why GEICO makes it easy to bundle your motorcycle and car insurance. I'm going to prescribe 91 octane for your engine knock, and we'll want to see you again in 3,000 miles. Kickstart your savings with GEICO Motorcycle. Bundle and save on the things you love. From the basement of the Bob and Tom Studios, it's that Josh Arnold podcast. Oh, what? My gosh. I am uh, still getting prepared here. Oh. All right. I think I've got it. Time to do this. My goodness. Oh, what is it? Second week of June or... Middle of June? No, no, yeah, it's like only the second week. Okay. Yes, I... It is, uh... Yeah, we're still pretty early in June. All right, well, good to... <laughs> I'm glad I checked that. Ah, oh, man. I'm happy to be here today because I get to spend some time with, uh... This week's guest. Uh, a person who I greatly admire and uh, respect. And, uh, who never ceases to, uh... Amuse me and, um, well, make me feel good. Uh, guest this week, it's you, of course. You, uh, my gosh, you look good. I hope you're feeling good as well. Uh, how am I? I'm fine. I'm fine. Last week, I just, I just want to get this out of the way real quick. I teased uh, some news I had. Well, uh, that news, uh, things have drastically changed. And I'm I, I'm I please please know that I'm not trying to be coy or elusive. Uh, I'm just not uh, I uh, it's it's no longer news, so I'm not going to uh, talk about it. <laughs> so uh, my apologies for the cliffhanger uh, at the end of last week's show, but uh, all is well. I'll just tell you that. All right, all is well. There it was. Um, um, uh, it, it, yeah, it was a tough situation, but it, it's been uh, rectified. So. Anywho, uh, boy, I am uh, enjoying uh, some summer thunderstorms. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this uh, about me, but I, boy, I love a thunderstorm. And I've always had um, a theory. Uh, I know this about myself um, that a lot of people think I'm, I'm crazy for. Well, some people think I'm crazy for many reasons. This certainly is one of them, but I can't help it. It's how I feel, and I... Uh, even though I've never been faced with this situation, I do feel like it's what I would do. Okay, here's what it is. I love to watch thunderstorms. I if if it's raining, the harder it's it's raining, and the harder the lightning and the thunder are, I'm out on the porch watching all of it. I I love it. I'm fascinated by it. It it brings me an odd um sense of peace, and I say odd because for many people it it causes a lot of anxiety and. Um, worry, but uh, and I know you know how serious storms can be, but I love them, and I think it might it maybe it's, it stems from the fact that my dad loved them, and I remember being a kid, and um, every time uh, it would storm, um, well, by gosh, I'd look out the window, and my dad would be standing on the porch smoking a cigarette or or just kind of looking off at the sky, and um, uh, I sometimes I would go out there and stand with him, and. Uh, it was nice. We wouldn't really talk. Um, I, I always got the feeling, even as a kid, that he was 
uh, pensive that he was in, uh, you know, thinking he was in thought and, uh, but I would just kind of stand with him and be, and then I would lose myself and my thoughts. And it was, I really have fond memories of those moments. And, uh, I, and my, and all my brothers have it too. So we all, <laughs> uh, we all must've gotten it from, uh, old Larry. But, um, uh, what I'm going to say is, uh, uh, if I'm watching a storm and a tornado shows itself and, or if I hear like, uh, I'm sitting watching TV and, and the, uh, the alert comes over the TV or something, or I hear sirens, um, and I, uh, look, I'm not running downstairs. I know this is dumb. I'm going outside. <laughs> and I, I do this. I have. And um, uh, I will uh, go out on the porch. And if there's a tornado that is clearly going to hit my house and hit me and I can't escape from it, I, I truly believe I will do this. And I don't uh, mean to al- alarm you with this. I am running into the tornado, and here is why. <laughs> you will hear stories. And I'm, by the way, this is I'm not suggesting you do this. This is just what I'm, I plan to do. I'm running into the tornado because I, you, you've heard these stories of somebody being sucked up into in a tornado, and then a mile or two away, they were somehow gently set back down on the ground by the tornado, and uh, they were totally fine. Now... Those are news stories for a reason because they're so crazy and they're clearly flukes or whatever. <laughs> but if I'm going to, if I'm in imminent danger because of a tornado, I would also rather be hurt by the tornado and the debris in it than by my house falling on top of me. I have a way bigger fear of being buried in rubble than I do being sucked into a tornado and maybe hit by a truck while I'm in it. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I can't say that it's rational or logical, but that's just how that's just how I am. So, uh, yes, if uh, <laughs> if you ever hear uh, that uh, you know uh, nationally syndicated radio uh, broadcaster Josh Arnold was killed by a tornado, you know that it wasn't because my house fell on me. It was because I ran into the damn thing. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, anyway, I just thought I would sort of, uh, <laughs> share, share that. Um, oh gosh. Yeah. They, they are obvious. I, I remember, uh, I, I lived in St. Louis and, um, my gosh, I must've been in seventh grade or, uh, sixth or seventh grade or something like that. And one of my best friends, uh, Matt Pekarski was his name. He moved to Indianapolis and uh, there were like four of us that were all pretty good friends. It was uh, a guy named Brian Holden Reed and a guy named Chris Carter and and Matt Pekarski and I were buddies. Well, Matt moved away. Uh, his dad got a, a job in the Indianapolis area and uh, moved away. And well, all of our parents said, hey, why don't we let the boys, why don't we let Brian, Chris and Josh go to Indianapolis and visit Matt, stay there for a week. And uh, uh, Matt's parents were cool with it. And so that's what we did. We we got on an airplane, which is exciting for, you know, three sixth graders or whatever to get on an airplane, fly the, I mean, what, 40 minutes in the air from St. Louis to Indianapolis. Uh, but we were thrilled and uh, land and, and then get in their van. Unfortunately, I don't remember where, uh, what area uh, they, they lived in or whatever, but it was rural. It was uh, quite rural. It was not in the uh, city proper of Indianapolis. And, um, 
they had a, a, an in-ground pool and we were all our, you know, we were all back together again. And man, we, I remember we went and saw, um, Batman Returns and, uh, oh my gosh, what a, what a, what a fun, like week long trip. And God bless Matt's mom for putting up with, uh, <laughs> with all of us. Uh, cause you know, four, six, six great boys in a house. Plus they had other kids. That's a lot of work and a lot of feeding and a lot of, uh, uh, <laughs> washing towels from the pool and everything. Um, unfortunately, I haven't stayed in touch with any of those dudes. Uh, you know, the, these things happen. I, uh, I, I know I've talked to Chris before on social media, but I hope uh, Brian and Matt and, and Chris, they're all doing quite well. But on one of the days, there was going to be quite a, a thunderstorm, and that turned into a tornado watch, which turned into a tornado warning, and there was no denying that this tornado was going, uh, that a tornado was going to touch down in Matt's, like, I mean, the way the radar showed and the way that everybody was talking, the tornado was going to uh, essentially land, if not on their house, where we were um, very, very close. And so um, uh, Matt's mom ushered us all into the basement. And I remember even then being... um, uh, completely illogically resentful that we had to be in the basement while this tornado was outside and I could have been watching it. And I, how ridiculous of a, you know what I mean? She was totally protecting us, doing the right thing. And man, I wanted to be out there. And so I, what I did was I sat up at the top of the stairs <laughs> uh, before she uh, realized and then, uh, you know, just sort of rightfully yelled for me to come back down <laughs> to the basement. Uh, and listened, and I heard uh, what I believe to be the tornado. It, it, everybody had always said it sounded like a freight train, and uh, my gosh, if I didn't hear just anarchy uh, with the wind and a, a very, very freight train-like sound, and uh, it was nuts sounding. And after it was all over, we went upstairs and we looked outside, and we could see the track of the twister that had gone through a cornfield across the street. And we could see that, that the, the, the house nearest, uh, which was probably, Oh, uh, 300 yards away, something like that had severe damage. It, it had been hit and, uh, it was out. So it was out there. And, um, I mean, their, uh, their lawn furniture was all over the place and, uh, we were serious. We were quite at risk. And boy, that was, um, that was, that was really something. But even after that, I went, man, I sure would have liked to have seen that thing. I, uh, didn't like being down there in the basement where we could have been, uh, crushed or what I, but again, I, I'm not saying <laughs> that my thoughts are, uh, right. They're just what I had. So, and, and still, still do have, but man, what a thing, what a thing. And, uh, God bless anybody that ha- that's had to go through that. I know, um, ooh, uh, they can be, um, obviously they're, they're nothing to, to scoff at. Even, I hope it doesn't seem like I am, even though I kind of, am. you know what, you guys know, you know where my heart is, I think. So, um, oh my gosh, before I continue rambling on, I'd be remiss if we didn't get to, uh, this week's sponsor, uh, a terrific, terrific sponsor, uh, an important one. And I'm certainly happy to have them on board this week on uh, that Josh Arnold podcast. Our sponsor, <laughs> our sponsor this week, 
pockets. You know, where would we be? I ask you, where would we be without pockets? Uh, and did the person who invented pants, ha- were pockets already part of the pants when they first came out? What do you think? Uh, I could look this up. I, I'm, I'm not uh, terribly, I could also live without knowing. <laughs> but I do know this. Pockets, well, they hold things for us. They um, keep things from just spilling down our pant leg, don't they? And, uh, oh, the front pocket, the back pocket, the uh, the chest pocket, what what have you. Pockets, uh, very important. And, uh, well, I mean, by, by gosh, let's not forget the pita pocket. I mean, that's a delight, isn't it? Ooh. And, uh, uh, but, but, I mean, we wouldn't have the game of pool if it weren't for pockets, would we? That's uh, <laughs> billiards. I mean, my, uh, can you imagine how annoying that would be? Every time you got a ball in the hole there, you, it would hit the floor and roll away. Do you have to go pick it up? No, we don't have to do that because pockets. That's right. And uh, I, sh- I certainly appreciate pockets being our sponsor this week. I hope you enjoy some pockets <laughs> very soon. Uh, all right. The basement is, uh, man, Jason, uh, my, my faithful uh, uh, good friend and, and producer Jason, are you? is it humid in here? Are you hot? What's going on? Maybe the door has been opened a lot. The basement is crazy humid right now. I, 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 we're gonna, I'm going to have to figure this out. But you know what? Let's just get out of here for a minute, shall we? And hop on board the TJA Express. That's right. The Arn Track, as it's known. The world's only steam monorail. Ah, I love that sound because I never quite know where it's going to take us nowadays. And, uh, oh, oh my goodness. If it if it hasn't dropped us off right in the middle of Fearfield. That's right, we're here in Fearfield. And uh, you know what that means, folks. We are going to learn about something scary, a, a phobia that's out there. Uh, because that's what we do here in Fearfield. And, uh, man, it's a lovely town, but it is, uh, it's creepy. It's kind of like a, uh, a Wash- like, a, like a Washington Irving story or a, uh, maybe even a little Hawthorne. It's, it's class, it's classical looking and, uh, and pretty, but also ominous, you know? It's, uh, boy, oh boy. Fearfield. Uh, this week's, uh, phobia was submitted to me by uh, James. He, he he wanted to share it. And James wouldn't know this, uh, how would he? But I have this phobia. I legitimately do. And I didn't think to uh, um, ever look this up to see if it was a legit sort of phobia. Apparently it is. And I'm, I'm going on record as saying I have it. And um, always have. And... I don't know how bad mine is. I'm sure there are people out there that have it way worse than I do. But mine's uh, on a scale from 1 to 10. I'd say I've got a 7, maybe. So, whew, uh, let's talk about it. The phobia that uh, we're, we're exploring uh, this week in Fearfield is called submechanophobia or submechanophobia. I'm, I, I like submechanophobia. Even if it's correctly pronounced sub-mechanophobia. I'm going with mechano. And uh, you can, look, sub, we, we all know what that means. A long sandwich. Oh, Josh. Oh, you silly, silly man. Uh, no, it means under or whatever or below a surface. 
and uh, mechano or mechan- uh, something uh, mechanical and or man-made phobia. And that's exactly what this is. Submechanophobia is the fear of submerged man-made objects. Uh, and I have this, folks. Uh, so submer- underwater. Underwater man-made objects. I They give me the creeps to no end. And um, uh, so we've all seen photos of uh, sunken ships or ancient ruins that have been uh, submerged. Uh, or flooded areas where there are like street signs just below the surface of the water and, and buildings. I, I tell you what, this is a, I genuinely get afraid when, when things like this, well, like I'm also fascinated by water and, and uh, everything like that. But I, I've always, and I've talked to people about this and they've never said that they had it. So I didn't realize that this was a legit phobia, as I said, where I'm like, man, it gives me the creeps. Like when, a camera is is going deep underwater and all of a sudden you see like this the shadow of a an old ship and then it gets closer and the ship starts to reveal itself i can't take it it makes me so anxious and uh, <laughs> it's a thing and how nice to know that i'm not alone in this submechanophobia i have nightmares about this uh i would say bi-monthly uh th- that often i will have a dream where i'm uh uh, thrown into water, I jump into water, and I'm swimming along, and all of a sudden, I come across some man-made object in the water, and it, and, and I wake up just so frightened. Like those are nightmares for me. And whenever this happens in real life, boy, do I get creeped out. My, my when we go fishing, my brother has a fish scanner, which I, you know, he swears by it. I, I got to be honest, I don't feel like I've ever caught a fish from from the fish finder. I just I. Yes, we can see that they're under there, but I don't think we've ever, oh my gosh, there are fish here, and then stopped, and then fished and caught a bunch. My other brothers say yes, but I, I no, I, I really don't. <laughs> but what we can see every now and again on these fish finders, because we fish primarily at the Lake of the Ozarks, and the Lake of the Ozarks was uh, a, is a man-made lake. It was dammed off, and many roads and uh, structures and things were then uh, submerged. So there are things under there. That's it, it, uh, under the lake. And uh, also, there have been so many boats on that thing that some of them have, in fact, this week, they just dredged up uh, like a decades-old houseboat. They just, I was reading an article that, that my brother sent me that they pulled this thing out, and it was just, uh, to me, uh, as as hideous-looking a thing as, uh, as anything. So, um, but anyway, occasionally we will be... Uh, you know, trawling along the shore, the uh, the lake, and he'll go look at this, and there's a clear image of a boat, an old boat or an old like shack uh, under the water, and I, <laughs> it just really gives me the willies. I don't know what what it is, but it's a uh, certainly a fear that I have. And James, thank you, thank you very much for for telling me about this. Uh, and also sending the article that uh, sort of explained it along. It didn't explain the origins or anything like that, but it had many, many photos of uh, <laughs> submerged, and I, I, I was sweating looking at it. So uh, fascinating phobia uh, to learn about here in Fearfield, and what a what a fine visit it's been. Always nice to see uh, the fear Fearfieldians, and uh, <laughs> I know they're they're doing well in spite of 
the name Fearbeald. So, sub mechanophobia or sub mechanophobia. Man, I've got it. I have got it. You know what else I have? I have some uh, uh, corrections that people have sent me. Look, my podcast um, uh, is, uh, well, as you know, it's me talking. And apparently, there have been a few times where I am talking out of my uh, my ass. And so <laughs> I need to correct some things. I never mean to share misinformation with you, uh, but it happens. And uh, um, so I, I have uh, received some, uh, hey, hey, you got this wrong or you got that wrong. And so I would like to correct them uh, real quickly. Uh, one regards the... Uh, the story I told about Chad Zumach walking off the show, and uh, and I remember distinctly prefacing it as this is how this is as how I remember it. Well, uh, a, a listener um, wrote in and said, "No, that's not really what happened." You, uh, Kostaki, uh, he didn't leave after Tom made a joke. Uh, you made a joke about um, like Kostaki told a joke on the phone, and Chad said he didn't get it, and then you said, "Oh, is it all Greek to you making a Kostaki joke?" And that's when he walked off. Um, I, I honestly, I'm not going to bother going back to the tape or anything like that. But I'm 99% sure that 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 it wasn't my joke that caused him to walk off. It was Tom going finally a joke. I mean, I real I really distinctly remember that being the case. So if I'm wrong, I apologize. But uh, um, anyway, uh, often when I tell stories on on this podcast, I don't want you to think that I. Um, uh, have done this a lot because I don't think I have, but memories are memories and sometimes they're fallible. And um, if I do get something wrong, by all means, I, I'm not a guy that uh, gets insulted by being corrected. I, In fact, I appreciate it. Uh, what else was I corrected on? Oh, man, this was a big one. And um, shame on me, uh, quite honestly, for not uh, <laughs> knowing it. And it also has a weird tie to a uh, a recent... Uh, episode of this show. So, one day I was discussing show choir, the, the premiere show choir that I was in, and I was talking about how on an airplane, the uh, <laughs> the cabin crew or whatever asked if we would sing a song, and we sang James Taylor's Fire and Rain, and I thought it was so ironic that we were singing a song that was about a plane crash because the, the, the uh, song discusses uh, flying machines and pieces on the ground and all this stuff. Well, it turns out I was uh, I couldn't have been more incorrect about what that song is about. That song is about many, many things. Um, James Taylor struggles with uh, chemical dependency, with um, uh, the, the flying machines reference is, uh, is uh, based on, I guess he was in a band called The Flying Machine or Flying Machines. And uh, that failed or, or that uh, disbanded or whatever. So that's what that reference is. And um, also about uh, depression and suicide potentially and uh, a breakup. Uh, there's all kinds of things going on in there. What is absolutely not going on in the song Fire and Rain is a plane crash. So I <laughs> I totally apologize for uh, uh, any of you who um, I did not mean uh, to lie to you. And for those of you who may have... Uh, then repeated what I said to other people. Uh, my, I mean, that's a double apology to you. Uh, but here's the deal. That's what I was doing. I had heard 
the plane crash origin story of, of fire and rain uh, from the girl that I pro- I made promise would go to prom with me, and then I bailed on her from a, a couple podcasts back. She, uh, we were all rehearsing that song at show choir one day, and and uh, she said, "Hey, did you guys do you guys know the story of the song?" And she told it. She said, "Hey, there was a." Uh, James Taylor was in love with this woman, and uh, she was on a plane, and uh, it crashed, and and she died, and so that's what he's singing about. And we all, of course, believed it. And by the way, I don't think that she was intentionally lying to us. I think the story was told to her, and uh, she was then sharing it with us. So it was just a huge, um, just a big blob of misinformation that was getting passed around and shared around, and I uh, am also a culprit. So my apologies and uh, big thanks to uh, friend Marty Bender for correcting me on that. Um, now, uh, mind your own business, Marty. So, uh, <laughs> Jay, that you may have just heard Jason laughing he, because we both know him uh, and love him. So, uh, what else was I corrected on? Oh, yes. Uh, my friend James wrote in. Uh, ta- he did some research on the phrase... Uh, the hawk is out or the hawk is upon us or whatever, uh, referencing winter, uh, cold weather as the hawk. I said it's something I love, and I've always loved when old guys say it. And uh, and at one point uh, when I was discussing it, I said I'm, I've always been a sucker for those sort of old-timey Western terms. Um, but James did a little extra reefer. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know if he did a little extra reefer or not. James, you'll have to you'll have to let me know. He did a little extra <laughs> research, uh, <laughs> and uh, what he found was that the hawk refers to um, is 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 uh, primarily it comes from the black community. It's an African American sort of phrase uh, that was started by some jazz artists and blues artists and. Um, popularized in a Lou Reed song, which I was familiar with that Lou Reed song. I didn't realize, and the, and that lyric about the hawk, I didn't realize that it had come from uh, black music. And so um, it, it primarily now refers to the cold winds that come off of Lake Michigan in Chicago. But I had always, I, I had never heard it referred to specifically as a Lake Michigan thing. I just heard, oh, the hawk. And I'd heard old white guys say it too. So obviously, it's uh, it's got legs beyond the African American community, uh, but it isn't a Western thing. And I didn't mean to imply that. Uh, I, I did make the assumption, and and I'll tell you why. There was a movie. I remember seeing a movie on uh, television when I was a kid called Winter Hawk, and it was kind of a Western about Native Americans and stuff. And for whatever reason, my mind uh, incorrectly made an association with the hawk and winter and that movie. And uh, I, I, it was just an incorrect uh, thing. So, again, my apologies for making the suggestion that that was a term from the Old West. It uh, certainly is not. But I still love it. I, I mean, obviously, I still love it. In fact, I love it even more knowing the origins. I, I it, 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 Like, it kind of started... Um, in the early 1900s with blues and jazz musicians who referred to it as Mr. Hawkins, and then it got shortened. And they're not quite sure who Mr. Hawkins is or was. There are theories uh, referring to the cold as Mr. Hawkins, and then it got shortened to the hawk. How cool is that? It's awesome. So, 
What else? Uh, all right. I thought this week we might just kind of sit and go through many uh, questions that have been sent in, sort of a melange of uh, topics, a uh, succotash of uh, <laughs> ideas, uh, an oleo of ideas, if you will. Uh, for those of you who do the crossword and know that there's also, oleo is not just fake butter, it's O-L-I-O for uh, a variety of things. So, uh, some good stuff. Oh, you know what? Before we get to those, Josh, you're all over the place today. I know. It's very humid. Well, what does that have to do with it? I, it just alters the way I think. I can't help it. So, um, last week I was discussing uh, uh, some some issues... Uh, or a debate, uh, uh, an inner debate uh, in my head that <laughs> that I was having regarding eating pork. And um, I, if you remember, I said I was a little hesitant to even discuss it because I have such respect for farmers and uh, of all of all kinds. I, I, I genuinely do. I, I think I, I truly find them to be heroic in a sense and um, noble and. Uh, just what they do is incredibly hard, and um, I'm just very, very thankful for the, all the work that uh, farmers and, uh, you know, of all kinds do. So I certainly n- never wanted to dismir- besmirch, um, you know, pork uh, farmer, you know, w- w- pork, would you, would you say pork farmer? I guess you would, um, uh, or anything like that. Uh, but I did... I was a little worried that maybe, um, eh, maybe I just shouldn't be eating as much pork as, as I uh, have, and it's not a ton, but it's you know my fair share, and um, uh, because you know from what I understand, pigs are highly intelligent; they they are quite aware of their surroundings. And my gosh, I got some of uh, a handful of some of the most informative. Thoughtful letters, and I mean thoughtful in the truest sense of the word, that there there was um, real knowledge and thought put into your responses for both sides. And you know, you you all know that one of my favorite things is hearing both sides of an argument. And uh, I, I, it's in fact, it's it's very important to me to hear all sides of things. I know it's not to a lot of people. Uh, they, you know, we live in a world of sort of echo chambers where people just like to be um, told that their opinion is is the right one. But uh, I'm not that that type. I really like to hear differing opinions and then go from there. And I particularly like to hear differing opinions from people who have uh, hands-on experience and knowledge of a certain topic. And these folks all do. They all worked uh, on. Uh, I've got I got letters from people who worked at uh, slaughterhouses, from people who worked on pork farms, and from people who had p- pigs as pets, and all kinds of things. And I'll tell you what the general consensus is. Um, and again, I I, I am not out to uh, speak negatively of anybody in this industry, but this is the general consensus that if you are a pork eater. And you are a little concerned about uh, humane slaughtering and that kind of thing, and, and preparation of pork products. Your best uh, choice is to go to a local butcher. I, I almost everybody that wrote me said, "Hey, go to a small 
local butcher for your pork products. Here's why. These smaller pork farms and pork farmers, well, obviously they could use the business, but they're also doing things as humanely as possible. It's not a, uh, it's it's not a um, just like you know these giant factories and sort of uh, oh man, why is the the phrase eluding me? It's uh, what Ford invented. What do they call that? The uh, <laughs> damn it, I can't remember. Do you remember, Jason? Yes, thank you. An assembly line. My goodness. Well, uh, a little gallows humor here. In this case, it would be a disassembly line. But <laughs> but that's that's kind of my point. Oh. <laughs> hey, folks. I, you know what? I deserve it. I deserve it. My apologies. <laughs> yes, uh, that's kind of my point, though, is that uh, in these smaller uh, farms... They are uh, dispatched, for lack of a better term, um, in a far more humanely way than your big uh, corporate mass-produced um, pork places. You know, these these huge slaughterhouses where uh, the animals do know what's coming and they can sense it and see it and uh, they're horrified or whatever. Uh, so, yes. Um, uh, so what I've decided... Is I will I, I'm happy uh, to support local always, and I'm happy to support local farmers who I think are wonderful people, and um, uh, happy to support anybody who takes a little extra care in what they do. And it sounds like these smaller local uh, butcher shops and meat distributors do exactly that. So um, thank you guys. So uh, man, your letters were all great. Now, I also <laughs> received a letter uh, from a person who, uh, a very uh, I got the impression, t- very kind-hearted and very also aware of some moral dilemmas that we may have when it comes to eating animals and stuff like that. Um, and uh, uh, But this person did let me know, and this was something I, I was aware of to a point, <laughs> that given the chance... <laughs> and <laughs> again, this is uh, one person's uh, boy. This is based on uh, on a lot of knowledge and experience they had. Okay, given the chance, a pig would eat you in a second, a second. And <laughs> now I, I'm sure you're aware through certain, maybe some pop culture or uh, through do, doing some research of your own, that pigs will will almost quite literally eat anything. I mean, they. And the joke is, if you ever, uh, this is dark again, but the uh, kind of the, the, the joke is, if you have a body to dispose of, uh, you better know somebody with a pig farm because they will take care of it for you. And uh, this <laughs> the guy, the, the person who wrote me, <laughs> shared some stories of things that he witnessed pigs do that are really quite terrifying. And, <laughs> and I'll, I will share, uh, I'll share them with you. Uh, I, I don't think this... Uh, this person would mind. Uh, I hope this doesn't bum you out completely. But he said, after working with pigs, a couple things that he saw, he was... <laughs> this is going to bum a couple of you out, or a few of you out. <laughs> uh, he once saw a pig <laughs> um, eat a, a live chicken 
through a fence. And so so what happened was this this, this poor live chicken got too close to the uh, the pig pen. <laughs> Look, I'm laughing because it's so awful, all right? Uh, it's a weird defense mechanism I have. Don't call me a monster. So the pig, uh, according to this gentleman, the pig uh, grabbed the chicken with its mouth and then slurped the chicken through the fence like a a, a child slurping a spaghetti noodle. That's exactly, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little, but that's what he said. <laughs> that's, that's horrifying. And, and uh, this gentleman also once watched a pig very, uh, um, sort of frighteningly stalk a cat that was walking outside of the pig pen with the um, idea of if that cat, that cat, that farm cat or barn cat or whatever gets close enough to this pig, I am eating the hell out of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and he said it was really, um, I, I may be paraphrasing again, but I, the impression I got was that it was incredibly unsettling to see that to see like the murder in this hog's eyes or <laughs> just really kind of really um upset him so uh yeah anyway um uh that's i i uh the the long and short of it is <laughs> um thank you for all of you, all of the knowledgeable insight that you guys sent me regarding uh pigs um so, yes, that's what I've decided to do. I'm going to support uh, local when it comes to pork products. So, thank you for that. And you know what? I bet it's better, too. It has to be, doesn't it? Oh, man. It's got to be better. Uh, just fresher and um, made with real care. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I love local. I'm, I'm, I really do my best to, um, to support. Uh, and I'm not patting myself on the back. It's just something that I really enjoy doing. And you also meet really cool people man how how this is my first time in here um i apologize for not being aware but how long have you been here uh, what made you open up this kind of boutique or what made you get into um uh like raw food for dogs and uh sell you know just awesome and uh um it's just you you meet a lot of uh, nice hard-working folks and by the way that's not to say that if you work at a big box store or you are a franchisee or uh, anything like that, you aren't hard. Of course, you're hardworking and you're doing wonderful stuff. Um, but uh, the, some of the uh, personal stories, you, you know, what's always cool is uh, when you talk to somebody who uh, really worked hard and learned a lot and uh, did wonderful stuff at at a franchise or a big box store or something like that. And they ended up saving money and learning and learning a ton, and then opening up their own business. That is that is always so wonderful to hear. I, oh, I I, I love stuff like that. So, um, great. Well, let's get to uh, the questions that have come in. Um, some of them are Bob and Tom show related, like this one. John asks, "Who decides what goes on the uh, quote unquote best of?" shows uh curious about how that process works so uh yeah some of you uh, may wonder so what happens is um when we were on christmas break or summer vacation or uh memorial day well you know any any day that we're not live in the studio uh typically uh our affiliates play what can be known as the best of uh the bob and tom show things like that 
Um, so what happens is, well, my gosh, our very own Jason Hofsetz, uh, producer of, of that Just Journal podcast, he will take uh, what he finds to be some of the best, funniest, sharpest, silliest uh, stuff of uh, any given day. So he'll listen to the show every day. Poor guy. And um, what he does is he assembles an hour's worth from uh, the, so let's say uh, today we did a four-hour show, which we did. He listens to that, and from that four-hour show, he essentially takes an hour of what he considers the best uh, of that of that show, and he and he uses that to send to affiliates to play uh, from five a.m. typically to six, uh, five a.m. to six a.m. before our live show. So it's sort of like the best of the day before, an hour before we actually go on the air. Uh, maybe it's four a.m. to five a.m. where you are. It it, it can vary. So. Uh, that material is then taken, and from those best ofs, uh, a guy named Drew Carey, who is our affiliate, um, main affiliate guy, he, he affiliate relations essentially, uh, he takes care of all the stations that we're on, does a, lo- a lot of great work. He's an encyclopedia of radio knowledge. Uh, and it, by the way, it's not that Drew Carey. It's a uh, obviously a, a different Drew Carey, and uh, but a, 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 a very a fine man. And he takes the best of what Jason compiled, and uh, those become the best of shows. So it's like the best of the best. Um, and uh, you know what? In their opinion, are they wrong? Uh, you know, occasionally they are. Uh, like I'll. I'll hear uh, not enough me sometimes if I listen to a best of. And I go, well, they got it wrong. They got it wrong this time. Or I'll hear too much chick. Ugh. So. (laughs) Chick knows I'm being silly. Uh, Good question, uh, John. Uh, Another question about the show comes from, uh, oh, this is a a good man, Luke. Uh, He said he wanted to know. Is it weird when you or uh, the rest of the crew get gifts from fans? He says, I'm guilty of sending uh, little gifts or notes to the crew and uh, thought you might enjoy it, but I uh, maybe it's creepy. Uh, is it? And uh, I apologize if it is weird. It's not, Luke. It's not. Um, uh, no. Uh, yes, we do get plenty of uh, gifts from listeners. They either will be discussing products we like or uh, things that we'd like to try. Well, some listeners will go, hey, uh, my the local grocery store sells uh, those chips they said they've never tried, and so they'll send them to us, and uh, we get to try them. Or, uh, yeah, a lot of it, it's things like that. Or uh, I know recently I received uh, some uh, some tea from, uh, you know, he, he, he knew that I enjoyed tea, and he said, hey, maybe you should give this a shot. And um, the, the here's here's the problem, though. We don't. Oh, we're not the best, and I and I I, I admit this. Um, we are not the best at replying. And uh, Jess Hooker, who is a permanent part of the staff now, um, really does her best. First off, if you send us something and maybe you see that it arrived, there's still a chance we won't get it. It won't get in the right hands for like two or three days, because what happens is the package arrives or the letter arrives to uh, the affiliate here in the station, which is a separate sort of, we're in the same building, but it's a separate wing. 
So it sits in that wing for a little bit. And then when it's when somebody sees it, particularly in the COVID era, when there's not as many people here as there used to be, uh, they go, oh, we need to take that next door to the Bob and Tom guys. And so then the uh, it, it is delivered. And then it'll maybe get on Jess's desk or Dean, the producer's desk or something like that. And it'll until it gets noticed there, then it won't get in the hands of me or Christy or, Ch- or whoever you're 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 trying to give something to. Um, uh, yes. So, uh, if you don't hear anything, please don't be offended or, uh, worried that we didn't like it or that it was weird or, uh, anything like that. No, we always appreciate getting things, uh, from you. I have really tried, um, I'm going to say semi and I'm semi successful at it, at writing a letter and sending it back to somebody who sent me something. I, I I'm going to say I bat, uh, I'm going to say I'm, Six for ten uh, when it comes to that, and um, that doesn't mean that the four that I haven't written back that I'm still not going to. I have gifts that I really that are sitting on my desk uh, and that I uh, really enjoy, and and I've gotten letters, and then I have the uh, envelopes or packages they came in with the addresses sitting there. I just haven't done it yet. I just haven't written back yet. So um, I really. Hope to, and if you, if you don't hear from me, I accidentally threw away the package or something, and I do apologize. But yes, it's always appreciated. Now, I will also say this. Sometimes it's um, a, a little nerve-wracking if we get homemade food sent, um, only because we don't know what's in it. <laughs> So uh, I'm just being honest here. If you have a cookie recipe that you think we are absolutely going to love and you send it to us, there are uh, some in the building who are going to love it. And there are some in the building who aren't going to get near it. And uh, that's just how it is. Because what if it's a lie? What if the letter is, hey, I'm a big fan of you guys. Eat these. And, well... Uh, who's to say <laughs> that it wasn't actually a person who who really uh, who was recently angered by something we did or said or or is, has never been a fan of the show and sent us um, snot cookies or whatever? You know? <laughs> so uh, I would recommend not sending homemade food. Um, I've eaten it, and uh, uh, so I'm, I'm not going to say I haven't. But uh, I. I um, I also know people on the cast and crew who absolutely won't. So <laughs> I think I might be less paranoid, but eh, as Tom says, uh, if that guy, there's a, somewhere there's a guy laying on his slab who, if he had been a little more paranoid, <laughs> would still be alive. So uh, anyway, uh, Luke, if we haven't gotten back to you, our apologies, but thank you for, for uh, sending us some things. All right, Lee writes in. Um, oh, you know what? This was a uh, this was a nice letter, and um, uh, I, I really appreciate it. He, he talks about how his dad, who's who's now deceased, but was a, a Vietnam vet, and uh, he and I have that in common and things like that. But Luke, oh, I'm sorry, Lee uh, uh, brings up a couple things that I just wanted to talk about before, and I may have touched on it in earlier podcasts, but I I like talking about this. He said he's a big he's a big guy and he's uh, struggled with weight at times and and people um, have used that against him in joke form or to sort of insult him but that he's come to realize that that's sort of the lowest like common uh, way to uh, 
It's like the lowest form of wit oftentimes is to just attack somebody for their weight and um, that they may not be intelligent enough to come up with anything smarter than, hey, you're fat, that kind of thing. And um, and and he's right. And then he he goes on to say also that he is a big fan of the horror genre. And he tells me a little bit about that and uh, has some very nice things to say. Thank you, Lee. Well, you're exactly right, Lee. It, it, it can be uh, a tool of uh, the weak-minded to make fun of somebody for a physical thing, of course, um, and, and to mean it. You know what I mean? To really try to hurt somebody with it. Now, occasionally on the Bob and Tom show or maybe even on... I don't know. I, I try not to do this uh, really on this podcast or anything. We'll make jokes about somebody being uh, ugly or fat. Well, obviously, there are a lot of fat jokes thrown at me. Um, but uh, I can take it from my coworkers because I know their hearts and I know how they feel about me. And uh, if they ever thought that they were going to hurt me, they wouldn't do it, whether it be about my weight or something else. Um that's not what it's about. That's not what we're doing here. Even though it may sound mean, um, it's supposed to. It's supposed to sound mean in order to create uh, some some comedic drama for the show. But my gosh, they're not. Uh, you know, they're not trying to hurt my feelings per se. And um, but it is a weird balancing act to make jokes or have jokes made about you regarding your body. Um, it takes a mixture of, it's like this weird mixture of, uh, confidence and fun where you're like, Hey, I can take it. And like deep, sometimes painful insecurity and insult like, uh, man, I can take it, but you are making fun of me. And, um, it's, you're making fun of me about something that I really struggle with. And, uh, I, you know, as uh, far as we've come um, with body image and things like that on social media. People are trying to be body positive and uh, and all this stuff. We still have a long way to go because fat people are being overweight. I think, this is, this is how I feel about it, is still uh, kind of fair game when it comes to humor because I believe most people see it as a choice that they go, hey, if you did the right things, you wouldn't be overweight. And quite honestly, that is not always the case. There is something else going on. Many people, and this includes me, are not overweight because they love cake that much. There are some emotional things tied with it or some mental things and and uh, even uh, habitual things that they... Uh, that came up in their childhoods. Many folks have metabolism issues or heart issues or, or things like that too that you really do need to take into account sometimes and go, hey, that, that person isn't choosing to be fat. Their bodies won't allow them to work out. In fact, I mean, that person may not be in a rascal at the grocery store because they're overweight. They may have to take that because their heart is weaker than the rest of ours, That that sort of thing. Um, or they're on a medication that, that where their body can no longer metabolize things the way it used to. There's all kinds of things. So, so yes, uh, I still think the majority of people think, and by the way, um, when it comes to me, some of it, <laughs> I'm not going to call it a choice, but I, I am lucky enough 
to be in uh, more control of my weight than sometimes it, it feels like I am or or sometimes sometimes it doesn't feel like I have the power to change myself, but I do. I, I do. I, I'm lucky enough to be healthy and overweight. It, it, you know what I mean? Um, in that I can work out and I can make better food choices and really get into shape uh, if I put in the effort. Is it easy? My gosh, no. Is it simple? Kinda. And that I need to work out and eat better to be more fit. Um, but it's not easy. There's a difference between being something being simple and something being easy. And um, it also does require, for me, uh, some, uh, I'm going to say, uh, support, uh, emotional and mental support. And um, that can be from my friends and family. And that can be from uh, my therapist and uh, all kinds of people. So, um so yes, yeah, it's a it's a weird thing, and I would submit, Lee, that uh, one of the reasons that you and I are fans of the horror genre is because of our uh, size and our struggles with weight. Um, my gosh, the horror genre is often about, um, I mean, maybe even primarily about uh, you know themes of. Uh, overcoming adversity. So for us, it would be overcoming our struggles with uh, weight, with public um, perception of us, with, um, man, you know, wanting to look good, all kinds of insecurities, all kinds of things, our health, stuff like that. Um, There's always, the horror genre has always been an exploration of outcasts and misfits. So we might also relate to those stories a little bit. Um it's also about overcoming pain and uh, facing fears and, um, uh, you know, uh, things that are different. All of that. I, I really do. I, I, yeah, I think I think um, th- that's definitely one of the reasons why we are drawn to that genre. Um, because we can relate in some many subconscious ways. They're not always right there on the surface. They they're um, submerged like the uh, many ships underwater that terrify me so uh, that um, uh, but but yeah that's got to be why that's got to be one of the reasons why we are drawn to those types of stories because we we can also we can relate being um, we can relate to being victims and we can also relate to being uh, our own worst enemies maybe in that oh man if I had just spent the last six months working out and eating better I would be um, really, really happy right now, but I, I I caused myself not to be. Or we can relate to the villains a little bit too because oftentimes villainy stems from, in, in the horror genre, uh, feeling like an outcast or a misfit or, or being misunderstood, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah, really, really interesting stuff. My therapist recently told me, by the way, if you're ever curious about uh, um, me being in therapy, I, I want you to know it's... Uh, Nothing specific and nothing um, uh, really, uh, by no means is it anything negative. Uh, I didn't start seeing a therapist. Well, okay. I, I didn't start, what I'm saying is I didn't start seeing a therapist because there I was in, I, I really, really needed some help. I uh, consider myself quite flawed in a few ways. And so I wanted to address um, those issues with uh, a professional. And so uh, I am. And by the way, she's really letting me know 
hey, those aren't flaws. That's who you are, and you need to embrace them. Now, I have said some things that she's said. Uh, uh, yeah, you. we need to work on that. Or, uh, uh, okay, do you think that was the healthiest choice? That kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, uh, anyway, um, I don't want you to, I guess what I'm saying is don't be concerned about me. It's uh, Therapy is a really, really good thing for me. So, um, uh, But she also, she told me once in, in regards to, uh, working out and eating better because she knows I I struggle with it even as much as I joke about it and as much as others joke with me about it it is a thing for me and uh, um she said something that really helped and Lee maybe this will help you maybe it'll help uh, many of you out there she because I would talk about man if I had only done what I should have been doing exercising more eating better uh, years ago I think I'd be a happier person now. And she said this. She said that one of the problems that you've had is that you have been working out for future you. When you have exercised and when you've eaten better, you've been doing it for future Josh, for the Josh that you uh, think will be happier and uh, better in the future. You need to start working out and eating better for now, Josh, for cur- the current you. The current you deserves to feel good and deserves to um, uh, to be happy and deserves all that stuff that you're doing for future, Josh. You need to ignore him and do it for you now. And my gosh, if it wasn't like she flipped on some light switch and I said, oh my, you're, you're, in, you're completely right. I have not been doing it for me. I've been doing it for future me. And that's why. And she said, that's why you've been failing. Because you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for uh, you down the road. And it hit home so hard that it almost brought me to tears because I, holy cow. Uh, uh, yes, it, it just, um, man, that that is something that really helped me. And uh, maybe it helps uh, hearing that helps you as well. Do it for you now. Do it for, uh, be happier now. Uh, whatever that means. Maybe it means um you know, being overweight, if, you, if you're totally happy with it, why would I ever give you a hard time about it? So my insurance premiums might be a little higher. <laughs> I know that is one of the main arguments, <laughs> but, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, Lee, all my best to you, my friend. So uh, who else do we have here? Um, oh, this is great. Uh, speaking of horror films, uh, Bob writes in, and he says, uh, I, I'm going to paraphrase here. He says that his, um, is it his wife or his girlfriend? Uh, a wife. His wife. Uh, boy, sorry, Bob. If your wife's listening, you do not mention your girlfriend in this email. Uh, <laughs> uh, is a huge fan of genre film. Loves um, horror films. But he can't get into them. They don't scare him. Bob says, uh he never gets scared, and um, he therefore can't really, he doesn't enjoy them as much as he'd like to. Um, he says comedy really makes him laugh, but scary things do not make him frightened, and he would love to be thrilled. Now, he said he's been grossed out before, and he can appreciate some of the art um, and the work done in, in horror films, but he does not get scared. Do I have any suggestions? I don't. I don't. Um, if you, he says he's kind of uh, unable to uh, suspend his disbelief during the movies. Hey, I, I, you know what? Being scared 
and uh, comedy and horror are very similar in this respect. They typically elicit, um, they, they uh, elicit. Uh, oh, what the hell's the term? Oh, involuntary response. It's not a. It's an. It's a. It's a. An involunt. Being scared and and uh, being made to laugh are both involuntary responses. So, uh, they're sim- They're very similar in that respect. And it sounds like you have it with comedy, and you don't have it, you know, with horror. And that's okay. I, 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 man, I wish I had recommendations for you. I don't. I mean, I could even recommend the scariest movies I've seen, but I don't think they'll scare you. I, I think it's, uh, so what I, maybe what I would recommend is, um, uh, enjoy your wife being scared. So, uh, if she is able to genuinely, genuinely be frightened during a horror film, just kind of enjoy what she's going through and, and try to, uh, try to enjoy it vicariously. Just go, okay, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a real kick out of her jumping or her screaming or, uh, you know, grabbing my hand or my leg or whatever during this because <laughs> that's uh, that's always kind of the fun. That's that's one of the fun aspects of scary movies is uh, sharing it with somebody uh, you love, even if you're not scared. You get to see them uh, respond. So yeah, uh, unfortunately, you might not be able to enjoy them like uh, other people can. Not I know a lot of people that just do not get scared by scary movies. They 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 just yeah, they do nothing for him. So, uh, sorry, I couldn't help you a little bit more with that, Bobby. But uh, yes, have fun with the the misses. Oh, Mary writes in with a uh, the age old question, a, a, a fine, fine question that I have not really talked about yet on the podcast. Uh, she knows I love movies and books, and says uh, she says I was wondering how you feel about books made into movies. Do you like when they stay true to the book? Or are you okay with the movie omitting certain pieces? Uh, she says, if I read a book and there's a movie, I have to wait several years before watching the movie. I'm kind of with you on that. I, um, If I finish a book and I know that there's a movie out on it, I usually wait because uh, I, I tend to enjoy them more that way. I don't try to push my interpretation onto somebody else's interpretation. When I, when I wait a while, I can just enjoy the interpretation of the other person. Uh, I love the details in books and get miffed when the movie glosses over details that seem somewhat crucial to the story. Yeah, that's always one of the that's probably the biggest complaint about um, movies adapted from books is that, oh, well, they left out that part. Or they left out this cool character trait or uh, backstory or whatever. And it's like, well, they've only got a, a finite amount of time and they have to. I mean, I, we all understand why that happens. So what I'll say is this. I. um. I really like both, and that's not a cop-out. Here's what I mean. I like when, uh, you know, when I read a book, I go, man, this would be so cool in a movie, and then I get to see that scene uh, or that character come alive on film. It's like, oh, yes, how cool. And sometimes it's fun to go, oh, my gosh, that is exactly how I pictured it. Uh, Or I uh, I go, oh, my gosh, I didn't even think that it looked like that. How cool is it? That they did that. Now, occasionally I'll go, oh, they they got it wrong. They got it wrong. That is not what I pictured, and I don't agree with their interpretation, that kind of thing. Uh, but when they omit certain things, or uh, what I what I like better, actually, is, um, and this doesn't bug me, is when they add something. They add something to uh, the story, maybe because it's um, more cinematic, or, uh, you know, which may seem obvious, but... It isn't always. I, uh, um, the best example I can give you as of late, 
uh, is Dr. Sleep. Now, Dr. Sleep is the uh, was uh, first a book. It was written by Stephen King, and it's the sequel to The Shining. Now, uh, many of you probably know that Stanley Kubrick's 1980-81 movie, uh, The Shining, is quite different from the book. And I won't uh, give, give any spoilers here, but uh, they're quite different. Uh, Stephen King is on record as saying he didn't care for Stanley Kubrick's um, interpretation and, and adaptation of The Shining. Uh, and I believe his quote was, uh, he was out to hurt people with it. And I really, that re- that's really stuck with me. Um, that uh, he, he must have found Kubrick's interpretation to be really cold and uh, hopeless. And <laughs> in many ways it is. And um, uh, King did not consider his story that way. Um, he certainly considered it terrifying and, uh, you know, in many respects, but... Uh, I think he felt it to be more human than Kubrick saw it. So the movie, when the movie came out of the novel, Dr. Sleep, King, by the way, uh, of course, stuck to the source material, uh, the original Shining. He he wrote a sequel to his book. He did not at all write a sequel to Kubrick's film. Now, Dr. Sleep had a tough job to do when it came out. It had to, the the filmmakers had a decision to make, and by the way, an an immensely talented filmmaker got behind, uh, made that movie, uh, wrote and directed it. A guy named Mike Flanagan, who I think is, boy, he is arguably the finest horror thriller director working today. He's at least in the top three, and um, just doing wonderful stuff. He did Oculus and uh, some really. Good, good uh, horror films. Um, He's a really thoughtful director. So he had to decide, am I going to do a straight adaptation of King's book or am I going to do a direct sequel to Kubrick's movie? And what he did was both. He seamlessly reconciles both and... I loved that. I really enjoyed King's novel, of course. Um, I, in fact, it, it uh, brought a tear to my eye. There's the I, th- I found the ending to be incredibly bittersweet. And so, um, uh, but it, it, there was no way, and again, I'm not going uh, to, this, this may be annoyingly vague, but I refuse to give spoilers. Um, it's it's uh, quite different than the ending of the Doctor Sleep movie because Flanagan was reconciling the film and the the novel, so uh, and he does it wonderfully. Uh, I think both King and Kubrick would really. Uh, I mean, Kubrick is dead, but uh, and I'm sure King has seen Doctor Sleep. Um, I think they would re- both give it thumbs up. I think they would really uh, appreciate what Mike Flanagan did. So that is the uh, a really fine example of a book omitting. And adding certain pieces, I'm sorry, a movie doing that um, successfully. And uh, I also want to say this real quick. Uh, you always hear people go, oh, the, the book was better. The book was better. I want to tell you about a case where I think the film is better. Um, the I think the movie, Deliverance, uh, is better than the book, than the James Dickey novel, Deliverance. The James Dickey novel is... Excellent. But 
for me, it worked better as a film. And uh, I could probably bore you with uh, an hour and a half long uh, <laughs> summation of why. Well, it wouldn't even if it's an hour and a half, it wouldn't necessarily be as much. But I, I could uh, I, I would definitely bore you with why I think that it works. Be- that story works better as a film. But isn't that crazy? Um, because the only re- I mean, it works better as a film, in my opinion. But it would it would have never happened if it weren't for the book. So it's a weird it's it's kind of a weird thing to to think about. But um, that's one instance where I really found the uh, film to be, and I love the book. Don't get me wrong; they're both great. Uh, they they are both works of art. Uh, unsettling that that's not a pleasant story, but it's certain boy. What a one of the great survival stories of uh, all time, I'd say. I'd love to hear if uh, there are movies out there that you think are better than the book. Um, if so, please, Josh Podcast at bobandtom.com. I'd be really, uh, really interested to hear. Um, and if I think of any more, I'll let you know. Um, th- all those questions, so good. I really enjoy hearing from you guys. And I, uh, boy, do I appreciate you spending time with me every week on, on uh, this podcast. Subscribe if you haven't yet, uh, please. And also follow me on Instagram. I, I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, I haven't been that active on it, but I always appreciate the follow and uh, plan to be more active in the future. Um, I just don't know when it's for me. It's when the mood strikes, whatever. So um, uh, these questions lead me to what I would like for us to work on this week. It's, uh, oh, boy. Look at, uh, <laughs> well, you look at Kubrick and King there. They're, they're walking. And my gosh, they're holding hands and they are skipping down the street. Finally, because I think of the work of Mike Flanagan, they are able to appreciate one another. And, uh, <laughs> Go, you know what? We made two different things, uh, but uh, good on you. Good on you. Boy, they they sure look happy. They sure look happy there. I've got to look into that more. I would love to know if Kubrick responded to King's criticism. Um, I'll have to uh, check that out. Anyway, this week, because we did a show all about questions, uh, it's an easy one. I say this week, ask one of your favorite people, a question. One of the, one of your favorite people that's in your life that you see every day. Ask them something, and it can be as simple as this is one of my favorite questions to ask somebody. I uh, I will ask, what is something about you that I don't know? And uh, I've gotten terrific answers from it. Really surprising, really thoughtful answers just from that one question. What is something about you that I don't already know? And you will be fascinated. In fact, maybe uh, what to work on should be ask somebody that exact question. Get to know a coworker a little better. Get to know a family member a little better. Can you imagine? Uh, boy, I can only imagine the joy of like a grandparent hanging out with their grandkid and 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 looking at them going, hey, what's something about you that I don't know? And the grandkid answering, oh, my God. I, I've asked this to my nieces before, and it has been some of the most uh, interesting uh, amusing in, uh, and uh, I, it becomes emotional because I'm learning something about somebody that I really love and uh, it's it's always created such nice moments. Maybe it's even your spouse. My gosh, somebody that you've spent 
years with and are, are so intimate with on almost every level. Hey, have, is there something that I I would love to know? One thing that you think or that that you do or that that you have done or that you haven't yet done but you want to do, tell me something about you that I don't know. I bet you're going to be really pleased and surprised um, with uh, <laughs> with the answer. I'm laughing because a bit from uh, my favorite comedian, uh, the late, great Robert Schimmel, just came to mind where he's, he's talking about how his wife uh, says, hey, I want to hear a, uh, a fantasy uh, in the bedroom that you that you might have. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, no, let's not do that. And, and she says, no, come on, Robert. I really want to know what's something that you've always <laughs> wanted to do uh, in the bedroom. And he goes, well, I'd like to f*** your sister. <laughs> and uh, he goes, Little did I know it was her fantasy for me to sleep in the car in the driveway that night. <laughs> so hopefully <laughs> your question doesn't elicit any sort of response even close to that. But uh, I, <laughs> uh, boy, I got a kick out of, uh, <sighs> I get a kick out of answering that question or asking that question rather than I get a kick out of uh, oh, remembering that bit. And uh, also, before I forget, goodbye.